Hi, I'm Bree, one of the co-founders of Frank Body. Hi, I'm Jess, one of the co-founders of Frank Body. Welcome to Selfish, a podcast that is all about putting yourself first and redefining the word selfish. Over this content series, we're exploring a variety of topics with some amazing faces that you'll know, from self-awareness with Brooke Lurton to self-discovery with Jackie Gillies. We're also talking about self-pleasure with Chantelle Otten and self-wealth with the incredible Victoria Devine. Podcast episodes for Selfish drop weekly on Tuesdays alongside a whole bunch of amazing tools, tips and tricks from our team that you can find across the Frank Body social channels. Find us wherever you listen to your podcasts and let's get selfish together. Welcome to Selfish by Frank Body, everybody. We have just finished an incredible conversation with Brooke Blurton. Brooke Blurton is a youth worker, a queer and Indigenous advocate, a podcaster and a media personality. You might know her from The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, but she is so much more than that. It's a really amazing discussion around a journey of self-discovery, self-identity and how that ultimately leads to how we cultivate self-awareness we do want to give a trigger warning for this episode there are mentions of suicide and domestic violence it's a really beautiful chat with brooke and we hope you enjoy it Welcome to Selfish. Thanks for having me. We're really excited to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. We both watched your incredible TED Talk earlier and in that you spoke about the importance of thinking about how you introduce yourself and not letting other people define your story. Mm. So in the spirit of that, I would love for you to introduce yourself. Mm. So I'm Brooklyn. I'm a proud um, Noongar Yamaji woman that comes from the West Australian part. Not many people get there, but it's my favourite place in the world. Um, And I'm a youth worker. I'm 29, nearly 30. Um, Yeah. How do you feel about turning 30? I'm actually really excited. I think because I think... Everyone says that 30s are your best times. And I think you you do the work in 20, your 20s and then 30s, it's much easier. 20s are a shit show. That's <laughs> right. Totally I agree. I agree. The theme of today, I know. hasn't it? Has it? Oh, God. We had the beautiful Rushi Page in earlier and mm. she's also just recently turned 30 and we were reflecting on how we felt when we turned that age mm-hmm. and you know our next milestone birthday being 40 in a couple of years. I'm like, I feel I love getting older. I just feel so much I think it's a privilege. It is 100%. When I think about, I guess, like people that I may have like crossed paths with who are, you know, in their 30s, they're just like thriving. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I want that. (laughs) You just don't have time for bullshit anymore. Exactly. That's what I'm excited for. I feel like when I turn 40, I'm going to hopefully not give as many fucks. (laughs) Yeah, zero fucks given. At the moment, I still care too much about certain things. 100%. And I'm hoping that just starts to slowly. This is, what is it? Dissipate. Dissipate. Yeah. <laughs> Over the years. Um, so you are a youth worker and I would love to unpack that a bit more because I think it can be glossed over or people don't necessarily understand what it means and what you do. Yeah. Tell um, us what you do. Yeah. Tell <laughs> what is well, it? I guess, you know, I do a bunch of other things, but yes. I think the one thing that I'm most passionate about is youth work. Mm-hmm. And I think because um, of the young people that I work with, I think for me, when I put myself back into when I was younger, I would have loved someone who kind of was like this role model mm-hmm. who kind of gave me like life tips and mm-hmm. was there and supported me. So I'm kind of like I went into this industry because I felt I wanted to be the person that I needed the most. Yep. So youth work for me is like probably 
it's just, every, I wake up thinking about it. I go to sleep thinking about it. And a lot of people think that I just do social media like full time, mm-hmm. but I actually um, work at a boarding house. So I work for an organization called Melbourne Indigenous Transition School. Mm-hmm. And basically that transitions um, young kids from remote and rural areas all over Australia to Melbourne so yeah. that they can receive an education and, you know, fulfill their dreams and aspirations. So youth work for me is just like seeing young people thrive. So seeing them live such a better quality of life. I mean, the start of my life probably wasn't as as youthful and as great. I had to grow up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But I guess the power of the power of role modeling for me was so important in my early stages of life because it just provided me with such perspective and exposure and it kind of like pulled me out of what my environment was. Yeah. And I think for me, I know some of these kids' experiences because I've actually done them and been through it all. So for me, I feel like I've got the skills and the tools that I've learned in my 20s to kind of, you know, help them navigate the same things. So youth work, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, community service Mm -hmm. job. So you've got like youth work, social work, community support workers, support workers. So like they're all sort of in the same realm. And a youth worker for me, like I'm actually, my my role is boarding coordinator. Mm-hmm. But as long as I'm working with young people, like that's pretty much it. Like that's, that's my job. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. It's actually so fun. You light um, up when you talk about it. It's pretty cool. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I've like, even though I'm in my, you know, 29, early 30, kids think I'm so much younger. And I think because I like to, you know, I'm small. So I sort of like <laughs> am the same size as them. Like, you know, I'm walking around and I think people look at us, they're like, who's the like adult? Like they're trying to like scan and like pan who who's like the supervisor of all yeah. these of these kids, which is also a blessing and a curse. But I mean, for me, I'm I think I'm still I still can relate to them, mm-hmm. even though I'm much older. And I also think like if I'm getting told that I look eighteen. That's a take slay. it. Baby. That yeah. is a slay. <laughs> How do you go about maintaining a sense of community in mm. an, on that in that organisation? You know, um, a lot of Indigenous kids coming and leaving their home. Mm. Is that a big priority within the? It is like house? our top yep. thing that we value the most, and we call ourselves a family basically because. Amongst the chaos, you know, I've got 11 girls, 11 boys. They're all in one house. Obviously, they're separated, but we're all family. We all eat together. We all go to things together. So for me, that actually gives me my part of community instead because obviously I'm back, you know, I'm away from home. Yep. I'm away from country. Mm-hmm. I'm away from community. So this is like my, you know, not my fill-in because like they're not just like fill-ins. They didn't just come in, but... It kind of gives me that sense of community because, you know, I go to work and I love it. And it's it's like you like I've got like 11 little sisters and brothers, yeah. basically. Yeah. So community is really big for the kids. And it's really good because at any time they want to go home, we just we send them home. Yeah, like great. It's no like we don't give any like fluff, you know, like, oh, you can't go home because of money or funding or anything like we make it happen. If they're homesick, like that is a calling for that. They, they need that. Mm-hmm. And so we allow that at any point. And I think I should probably mm. like practice that as well because sometimes I get definitely homesick. There's just this real pull for community and culture and country sometimes mm, yeah. with most First Nations people because, yeah, it sucks being away from home. Yeah. But it's such a sacrifice to 
to work and to, I guess, you know, take opportunities. Yep. Yeah. I can only imagine that constant push-pull for something that is mm. ingrained generationally over thousands of years and then, yeah, trying to mesh that with like a modern version of life. Must yeah. Be, yeah. It's like a whole like, you know, if you've listened to my TED Talks, I, I sort of navigate the walking in two worlds. Yes. Mm. It's like, I do remember you, you know, that. where do you belong? And, and that was kind of talking to a race, I guess, because I – really struggled with that with self-identity when mm-hmm. I was much younger because I have a white dad and a, and a black mom and and so you know and my mom has you know uh she's you know got two, she's biracial so she has two cultures and yeah I really struggled because I guess like in the Aboriginal community I'd go to my dad and I was quite articulate and quite like inquisitive and a lot of my you know peers thought that that was like you're too good for us kind mm-hmm. of thing and like that was called like tall poppy syndrome they try to bring you down mm, yep. and then the same happened I guess like in the the wider community when I went to um a different school in the city it, it happened to me there so it's just like this confusion that young people go through it's like where do I belong yeah and I guess I you know we're talking to like self like mm. self-awareness is so powerful in that because you know the more you know about yourself and the more you know about who you are and your identity, I think it helps you navigate the world much easier. Yeah. You just don't give two shits about things that don't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, self-awareness is knowledge. And it's not just about yourself, like understanding how other people work. Because mm-hmm. I find, like, people so interesting through this industry. <laughs> Kids is, like, so funny to watch. Like, you just sit there and you're like, like what are you doing like what are you, you thinking just, yeah, yeah and they're I weird. just like people watch with them and then I do the same with adults and I'm like you guys are so like it's I just love people watching I guess I love a good people watching yeah. session too <laughs> I always wear sunnies mm. like people always think that I'm like really sassy because I always have sunnies on inside but I'm like I'm just people watching and I don't want to give off like <laughs> these vibes that I'm like being judgy I just love like watching people it's so fascinating. especially at the tennis currently yeah cool. yeah you were saying is... the same thing the other day like the yeah. type of people around you at the tennis you were oh, finding so fascinating it. so interesting yeah. Going back to self-awareness, I think that's something that you cultivate over years. Mm. But for anyone who's, I guess, younger or going through that phase of trying to work out who they are or how to become more self-aware, do you have any tips? Be curious. I mean, you have to be curious to actually want to learn more about yourself. I mean... I think people over glamorize this like self journey kind of thing. You know, it's like about journaling and like doing yoga and Pilates, you know, like that is a really kind of like pretty niche way to like to explore what self looks Mm. like. But I think, you know, discovering self-awareness and understanding yourself can be a little bit ugly. Mm. It's like unpacking things that you probably haven't, surface for a very long time I mean I'm learning more about myself every day I think in and you do with in relationships in career I think my tips would probably be like don't be scared to Mm. kind of face the ugly I think the second thing for me would be like just know that like the more you know about yourself the and the more you know about people I think it would just help you navigate just life a little bit easier. It's not going to always be easy. Like, we know that. Life is – things are not – like, they're linear. Like, they go up and down. Definitely. So, um, yeah, I mean, self-awareness for me was just, like, knowing my place Mm. and being like, okay, like, 
I've got, you know, I'm this little girl, this little brown girl. And I've, you know, I've got this crazy platform. I've like working this really awesome, like youth work experience. Like, what do I have to offer really mm. to people, to my family, to my community? Like, what can I give? Um, but that all came from like curiosity when I was younger. I just think I was, I live in my head, but I think like my last tip, if I could give like one more, it would be like, just kind of get out of your head a little bit because mm. uh, you're always like yeah. cycling mm. up here it's literally like that little monkey that's just like <laughs> yeah constantly yeah. Yes. like the symbols and <laughs> sometimes yeah. like just put the symbols down and just like try and find some peace mm. and quiet I mean it's hard it's easier than you know said than done but like I try actively like when I'm like in my head that I haven't even said anything out loud mm. for like hours I'm like oh my god like I need to go have a conversation with someone <laughs> like yes. I need to go I need to go for a walk so yeah. I'm practicing like saying things outward mm. you know and podcast really helps like every yeah. week I do a podcast with my mate and you know we've learned and like you know, had revelations over the year in our podcast because we've said things out loud, mm-hmm. yeah. which is so strange. You yeah. unpack them. Yeah, you get it out. And then I said to him, like, I think it was only just last night. I was like, imagine if we didn't have a podcast or we didn't have each other. Imagine all the revelations that we would have missed mm-hmm. along the journey because we didn't speak about it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's so incredible. So, so like, talk it out, it you know? Is. It really yeah. is. I think what you said before about learning to sit with the difficult oh, yeah. or the ugly things, that's I've always really <laughs> struggled with that mm. and learning how to sit in that and feel that uncomfortable sensation and kind of move through it. Mm. I think yeah. it's something that's important for everyone to do. Your childhood was obviously quite traumatic. Mm. Do you mind <laughs> talking a bit more about your experiences when you were younger, growing up with a mum who had a struggle with addiction? And- yeah. Yeah, so I guess like the first... 11 years of my life were pretty tough and they sort of got more tough to get better I think so like you know you can imagine like a a line it got you know it was pretty stagnant and then got worse and then kind of got better and now I'm kind of like you know on my own journey the early stages I guess this is what makes me really grateful now I guess being an adult is that the stages between zero and seven are really important for a young person's development and brain and 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 self-awareness and to understand their place and so I actually don't remember any between that time but they actually in that time you establish your core values Mm -hmm. and so now as an adult I'm realizing what I've established like what my core values were established in that time Mm -hmm. and it's really hard and it's really difficult because I'm realizing things more in relationships and how I develop relationships that are pretty problematic for me, like personally, like I find it really hard to trust and like stuff like that. So my childhood was pretty like, I mean, if anyone's sort of read my book or read my story or read articles would know that um, my mum, bless her, she suffered from a lot of addiction problems, had really uh, sort of turmoil, mental health, like up and down. I didn't have a relationship much with my dad, but he was there and around. and I guess, you know, that in itself just plays such a big part in young per- a young girl's life mm. as well, you know, not too sure, like, where to go. Um, so when I was 11, my mum actually passed away and my um, nan 
not long after as well. And so they were two of the most closest women I had, most influential women, I guess. Like I had them my whole life up until then. And then I just lost them within like, I think it was like a month. Um, and it's really hard because like, you know, when you get older, you think like all these great things are happening and you just wish that they were there. And mm. then you just wish like, one day I'll get married or maybe one day I'll have my first child and you're like, you know that they're not going to be there. So that part is difficult. But when I think about my childhood, like the moments, I just try to, I guess, remember the the nice memories um, and create more memories as I get older to sort of like override the, mm. the turmoil, I guess. But, you know, I, I didn't understand mental health back then when I was much younger. But now working in it and seeing it, I can understand like where it comes from. So, you know, a lot of um, Aboriginal people um, experience a lot of psychological distress and that's kind of intergenerational through the years, especially post-colonisation. So for me, it was very prominent and very distinct that that was a, a direct impact. Um, my nana was actually in a mission. She wasn't allowed an education, therefore she never worked. So then, you know, when she had children, they were just making an ends. Like, you know, like just, they were making a, a, a lot, a little go a long way. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine like, it would just be like such a hard place to be in and um, such tough times, I mm-hmm. think. Like, and so I don't hold any blame towards my mom or, my nan, my nan was just really sick. She was getting much older. She had diabetes, heart problems, like, you know, lung cancer. Like she had just, she had, bless her, she was like this fierce woman, but she put on this front because of how unwell she was. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also what I've learned is like not trying to be something just to make everyone feel okay sometimes. Like if you're not well, just like say that you're mm-hmm. not unwell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then my mum you know, she, she was obviously struggling too, but she didn't speak about it or she didn't, she showed it, but showed it in probably not the nicest of ways. So I don't hold any blame or any, like, hate or anything. Mm. Like, I just think, you know, if I could put myself in their shoes, they were just trying to do the best that they could with what they could. Mm. And, you know, they just obviously had some experiences that really impacted them and their lives which then obviously follows down through the children and Definitely. through you know and that's probably what I don't want for my future mm. children is I want to break that cycle I want to yeah. kind of nip it in the bud and not have to like struggle um yeah. you know but <laughs> this day and age is pretty hard not to as well like you know mm. COVID inflation like you know, everyone's just doing the best that they can. Oh, my God, they really God, are. Like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, nothing like what people have gone through in past generations, but it's interesting mm. hearing you talk about losing two people that were so important to you. There's so much self-awareness, ironically, in, like, the way you talk about it because I think it would be natural for a lot of people to hold a lot of anger and resentment towards their mum in particular. Um do you did you always have that type of relationship with your mum's passing, or has that taken work to get there and to understand mm. the realities of generational trauma and the impact that that had on her? I think because I had to grow up quickly, yeah. I was aware of my surroundings and I was aware, like I used to watch people, I, I analyze people all the time, and I used to, I guess, like analyze people's actions, and and sometimes I think people's actions aren't really reflective of who they are. Mm. They may be just hurting, and they may be just like they're 
you know, projecting. So I guess with the, that side, I've always just naturally been a pretty empathetic person, like putting myself mm-hmm. in other people's shoes mm-hmm. from a young girl into my adult life. Like I, I think one of the, um, the responses from trauma and is obviously post-traumatic, you know, disorder or whatever you, yeah, PTSD. Yeah. And one of the trauma responses that I had was that I went mute for two years yeah. and I didn't talk. So mm. I was living inside my head. So the only person that was like the biggest enemy in the world to anyone that I thought was just mm-hmm. myself, mm-hmm. like I was just like finding myself and um, not thinking that I was worthy, not thinking that I was good enough. Like I was bounced around, I was moved around. I was with a dad that didn't generally like, you know, want me kind of thing so you can imagine that taking a toll and so I was just like always in my head and I think that's kind of where I was like I need to like I guess I just picked myself apart a little bit which is not a very healthy way to to live and to do things but that's kind of where it sort of started I was like well I don't want to be my own enemy kind Mm. of thing and I just read books and things about myself and I the the mute part was really difficult because I guess you don't talk so you just you're in your head and um I also could never express anger Mm. so when I get angry even now like as a 29 year old I just cry yeah (laughs) like if I'm really frustrated I'm really angry about something I would just cry Mm. and so I could never feel angry at anything and so I was like, okay, why am I crying? Like, why am I upset? Mm-hmm. And I just just would unpack that with myself constantly. So it just, it's just been a journey, I guess, like over the years, trying to better understand myself and how I respond to things. Mm-hmm. Um, so like knowing that I was like, oh, I'm angry, but like, why am I crying? So that, that was a response. And like, I'm trying to break down that barrier now. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm allowed to feel angry, like, you know, because I think this is where it kind of extends from when we were talking about my childhood, Mm. like, is when I saw anger, I saw people get hurt. I saw people get hit, like violence was very prominent in my Mm. family, um, which I'm very open to talking about. And I know that it's a trigger for some people because, I mean, we know how much women experience domestic violence Mm -hmm. these days Mm. and the statistics are really high. But that's what I saw when I was younger is like, people getting hurt Mm -hmm. and people, you know, and so I didn't want to like allow that feeling because I was Mm. like kind of like traumatized but like triggered by it. So it's knowing your own triggers. And I think along the way I just caught like constantly questioned myself like all the time, like no one else. Like I'm not questioning anyone else's things. I'm just questioning my (laughs) own shit. Like I'm just like, why the freaking hell do I do that? Or especially in relationships, I like push people away mm-hmm. or um, I'm like, you know, when I feel like upset by something that they've done, instead of being like, I'm upset by this, it's like, oh, like, no, everything just needs to go away like because it's just like too much for mm-hmm. me because I'm like, well, no, like I can do this myself. And I have a current partner and he's so beautiful. Um, and he just said to me the other day, literally like, I wish you weren't so independent because I feel like I have nothing to offer you right now. Like, And I'm like, you love and support me and yeah. that's all that matters. Mm. But that's my problem is that because I've just been in my head so much for my whole childhood and high school life, self-reflecting, self-analyzing, all that sort of stuff, 
uh, it's kind of yeah created this like self reliance independence, which is a positive in some ways, <laughs> but yeah. in other ways it's it's kind of bittersweet. Like creates boundaries and maybe not always the healthiest ones good ones yeah yeah, I guess yeah because I didn't have a lot of boundaries when I was younger I created these boundaries for myself to protect myself and now I'm not letting like other people come Mm -hmm. in because I'm like no 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 like you cannot come (laughs) into my space yeah yeah (laughs) the gates are closed (laughs) I feel like we all develop those coping mechanisms all these behaviors as a response to our childhood Mm. and it's only when you start well actually particularly I think myself and I think Jess you probably experienced this as well when you start to have children Mm -hmm. it can be really confronting seeing the way you parent or reflecting on yeah things that you learned that you don't want to pass down Mm. yeah how do you go about unlearning behaviors or recognizing there are behaviors or coping mechanisms Mm. that maybe served you and were really important when you were little that you don't that you need to let go of now oh yeah this is a really good one like great question because this is something that I've only kind of hit right now mm. and it's that basically the coping mechanism that I learned much younger was that protective safety so safety was something mm. that I seeked and something that I created for myself and that's what I look for in like anything like my relationships my career my financial um which is a a generally like you know can be a really positive thing because it protects you from all of these things but uh yeah I guess like I'm just really easy to sort of push people away I'm really critical because like sometimes in my work I'm you know if I feel valued or feel like I'm of value I'm like well they're like I don't want to be a part of that and um yeah sometimes it can be like people can sort of misinterpret that Mm. I guess like and you you feel misinterpreted because I guess I go through my whole life being like be as genuine and nice as you treat people with respect Mm. and I do the same thing but I can just also be on the other side of that like really critical of people because I'm like that's the safety thing that I've created for myself um so that's one thing I mean boundaries is another thing we spoke like briefly on I didn't have a lot of boundaries Mm. when I was younger so creating these boundaries now yeah like they weren't always like the most healthiest I guess I found myself in very compromising positions um you know more when I was younger I think in high school like risk behavior you know what I mean like it's just you test the boundaries and because I didn't have parental guidance or didn't have a lot of people like so I was allowed to do it right Mm. I was like you know not like I was like off doing drugs and stuff like that I actually did the opposite I stayed away from this is like going like Mm. overshare but like I thought if you have sex you will get pregnant Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah obviously (laughs) but like I was like, I'm not having sex the whole high school Mm. life because I do not want to get pregnant. Uh, And I was also queer, so I was like, I don't even want to have sex with boys anyways. They're gross. Like, I was (laughs) like, yuck. But that was weirdly a boundary that I put in place when I was, like, 15. Mm. Like, all my friends were, like, you know, doing their little thing, and I was like, oh, absolutely not. (laughs) Like, absolutely not. And... um. It was other things like I don't want to drink because I am a bit of a, a control person. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't like drinking because I feel like if I lose control, therefore I lose 
everything in my life. Like that's how irrational sometimes like my brain can be. So I just put these like little weird boundaries and like mechanisms in place throughout my life. And my memoir, Big Love, really kind of unpacks all of them. Mm. And when I was writing that book, it was so cathartic because I was like, oh my God, I realized like so many things that I did, which were good at the time and created such a safety network for me and also such a safety net for me when I was younger. But now like I can kind of let go of them. Like Mm. I can kind of, not that I'm going to go do like risk behavior, but like, you know, I'm like so stingy with my money because I'm like, well, I've got to make a little go a long way and I will run something so far down to it's like not even like, you know, shoes, clothes, like (laughs) makeup, like I'm scraping it out because I'm like, I'm, I so like was so frugal when I was younger because I didn't have a lot. So now I'm like, oh, I could just go buy a new one. Which is a good place to live. So they're all positive. But I think the most negative one is like the whole not letting people in. Mm. It's the the lack of trust that I have that is creating a huge barrier in my personal and love life as well. Yeah, definitely. If you have been wanting to stock up on Frank Body products, now is the time. For a few days only, we have a huge sale on at frankbody.com with some of your favorites at 50 to 70% off and many products under $10, which is unheard of these days. So shop now or you'll be forever mad that you didn't. You touched on before that you identify as queer Mm. and we were reading that when you were on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, they put a label on you of bisexual. Mm. How has your relationship with your identity as a queer person evolved over... Yeah, I know. It's so, it's crazy. Like, I guess guess when Australia first met me in 2018, which was The Bachelor, The Honey Badger season, he didn't pick anyone. uh, I guess my queerness was sort of exploited and sort of like, you know, kind of not exploited, but it was made to be like this really big deal Mm. but the contrast of that when I was you know back home in my footy like career like my footy life my footy community my work like everyone knew that I was gay I did have to say it everyone knew I had a girlfriend or a partner whether it was a guy or a girl like no one gave two shits Mm. and so it was such a crazy thing for when I went on The Bachelor for my whole sexuality to be sort of semi-exploited in a way that it was just like it made out to be this big deal and it was like Brooks Brooks Big Secret, Brooks Bombshell Mm -hmm. and I was like (laughs) and I get TV so it's such a contrast like it's such a contrast contrasting world I guess like when you live your life so comfortably and you understand that sexuality is a spectrum and you can sit wherever you would like to sit mm-hmm. when then there's this other world, which is like the TV world, which is actually probably reflective of like society in yeah. some way, um, that it's a big deal yeah. for everyone mm. to like see a queer person on TV. And I guess I realised the, the part that I played in that and was like, okay, I can break down some walls and some barriers here by showing how comfortable I am Mm -hmm. with just being whoever I want to be. And, you know, and that has sort of evolved. Um, And then being asked to be the bisexual bachelorette was I I didn't take that position lightly. Everyone knows how much I took such, like, you know, took that with care and responsibility 
but the the word bisexual was not something that I really, really, really defined myself with. You know, I wasn't like, hi, I'm Brooke, like I'm bisexual. <laughs> like, you know, I was always like, I'm Brooke. And then, and then, you know, people were like, oh, do you have a partner? I'm like, yeah, I have a girlfriend. Mm. And then they're like, oh, you lesbian? Like, And I'm like, no, I'm just Brooke. Like, yeah. that's just my partner. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And she was, this, you know, back in the day, she was the same. So it was just like over the years and then, you know, Months later, I'd have a boyfriend, like, whatever. Like, you yeah. know, you were young. Like, you just – so I was always, like, I'm – my footy, like, community knew this. We never really spoke about it. We didn't really care. No one really cared. My family didn't care. But the TV world, they really, you know, wanted that to be emphasised. Mm. And I get it because we don't have a lot of queer representation and that's the thing that I really pride, us on, pride myself on is that rep- representation matters. Like, mm. it – to see young, to young, like for young people to see themselves is so important. Mm. To like, or even just like break down those like little stigmas and barriers. Personally, I I identify with more, I guess, like you know, to put me on a spectrum of where I'd more sit would be pansexuality, which is just like I love anyone, like girl guy, and you know, I've dated all types of people that are on the gender spectrum, so it doesn't really bisexuality kind of boxes you Mm. and I think I get that TV needed that sort of defining thing to like Like I guess sell yeah Yeah. but it's just like so annoying because I knew that you know I'd have to live with that title forever and that that would be something that you know that would be to my name for a very long time which is fine I have no problem with it because I'm all about supporting the queer community and, and you know representing them but I know that also, like, we as people evolve differently and sexuality is a spectrum, um, gender is a spectrum. Like, we change jobs and life, like, so quickly. Mm. Like, one minute you could do one thing and then next you could be doing a completely different thing. Um, I didn't think that I'd be here. So it's just, like... It's hard because you're constantly having to redefine yourself. And when you're a public figure mm. or when you're someone that is in the public, it, it it's much harder to do that. So, like, if you're just in your community and I'm like, hey, I'm not going to do youth work anymore. I'm just going to go work in finance. My family would be like, no worries. All good. You do you. Mm. And But then you have to sort of, like, this, this pressure when you're a public figure, you have to, like, announce it. Yeah. And it's, like, mm. such a big deal. And it's, like... But, like, and they want to know, like, why and, like, how and stuff like that, where your family just don't really care. Yeah. Like, mm, yep. your people don't really – your people don't really care what yep. you want to do. Um, So that was a really hard thing. But I am constantly, like, redefining myself. Like, it's – it's I'm never – it's not like I'm never, like, complacent with who I am. It's just, like, I'm always wanting to do as much as I can in the life that I can. You know what I mean? Mm. So, like – that also comes from my childhood. My mum passed away when she was 34 years old mm. and I'm nearly 30. Wow. And my sister, who also passed away like two two and a bit years ago, I'm so sorry. she was only 33. Mm. So they're like really short-lived, like short lives lived. Mm. And I think every day or when I wake up or every year that I turn a birthday, I'm like, I have am such a privilege of, of aging and yeah. to getting older and to, you know, eventually start my life. But like to my family and, yeah. and stuff like that. Like I think it's such a privilege. Like definitely, yeah. Don't definitely take it for granted. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, there's a quote that we talk about sometimes that is, 
if you don't define your story, others will define it oh. for you. And I know you've spoken about how you had to redefine yourself after The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Can you talk a little bit about mm. that and what your story you want it to be? Yeah. Well, big love was reclamation. So, mm. like, I purposely put on my memoir on the front cover, like, reclaim myself, my people, my culture, because that's what it was about. Because tabloids and news will write the most horrific and, I guess, like, twisted, manipulated things about you and that can just like change someone's mental health like instantly and I was just like so sick of it I was like oh yeah these people really don't care about my mental health but I do so I can do something about that Mm. and I guess you know people had all you know written all these like trauma stories and you know Brooke's traumatic life blah 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 and I was like I don't really define myself like that like I had pretty hard childhood But I'm sure there's other people that have had just as tough childhoods too and are really happy to where they've gotten. So I was like, I didn't set myself to be any different. But when people rewrite things um, about you and twist things and change things, I just got – I was just getting really angry about it. Mm. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to rewrite my story and I'd always wanted to write a book. Um, And so I, like, I did it and – when I first held that thing, like physically, it was like such a really big moment in my life because I was like, okay, this is this is the real me. Yeah. Like whoever reads Big Love will know the real me. Mm-hmm. Like will know what I've been through and and how I think because they're inside my head. Mm-hmm. Like they know what I was going through during the Bachelorette. They know what I was going through the Bachelor, and even they know more when. I, my mum died like my Mm. inner dialogue is basically put into that book and reclamation is really important for me because I do believe in that I guess I love that quote but I also love like you are the author of your own story Mm -hmm. so it's like write it how you want to like I don't know what's gonna I'm I'd love to write another book and it be the chaos of your 20s because they were the most chaotic years of my life. (laughs) And they'll be so different to what you write in or what you read in Big Love. But that's like life. It's like sometimes dysfunctional and like, yeah, it's always like takes you in an absolute ride. (laughs) I really love that concept to sort of wrap us on like reclamation especially like we know it's predominantly women listening to this and that need to reclaim your story is a need shared by a lot of women and even more so women of color like it's just that's the experience Mm. yeah constantly trying to claim back what's yours and rewrite it in the way that you feel is suitable are there any tips feels like such a stupid word but i don't have another one (laughs) you know not everyone's going to have the capability to write a book what would you do if you were someone listening today mm. that felt like I need some of this power back in my life, how do I reclaim my power? Oh, how do you go? I mean, no biggie, just a small, no. how do I reclaim my total life and existence and power? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. claim your existence. I guess like standing in your truth is something that came to my full like mind first is like there'll be like some experiences that, you know, you've, done you've had or you've done that don't really you know define who you are as a person Mm -hmm. and I think like for me you know I have to talk about my childhood and I have to talk about this stuff all a lot and I'm I'm fine and I'm capable with but it's something that I don't really identify with my day and age now like I I was that happened and I'm okay to like leave it in the past so I think like letting go of things that don't serve you is one of the things that I really love 
but you know sometimes you do have to dig in there when you're doing the work like when we spoke about mm. like you like facing the ugly kind of thing you have to like do the work and sometimes you have to dip into that but don't let that part of you like your past really define where you're going into the future and I think my tips and tricks or whatever you want to call it like um is just owning it first of all owning your life um yeah it's it's such a hard thing yeah I mean I'm I mean, I guess women of color, there's like this such a negative, well, not negative, but there's like this stereotype that we have to like hold a lot of responsibility mm. for our communities and, and hold a lot of like power and, and we're not allowed to feel soft and not, mm. not to like kind of crumble. Like you have to constantly be strong. That's mm. the expectation. Yeah. yeah. And what I've realized is that I have been doing that. Like I'm the matriarch of my family. I'm the only woman that kind of holds my family together. But I've also realised that um, sometimes I also need help and I'm okay to lean in yeah. and it's just finding your people that you lean in and st- and that sort of stuff. So I don't know. I feel like to know your capabilities is to, like, have really that self-awareness, which is what we talk about. Yeah. Um, and I think to dive into self-awareness, you have to sort of, like, kind of be brave enough and courageous enough to, like, kind of face it yeah and yeah and not be scared like yeah yeah it's it's a pretty scary thing like unpacking who you are I know it's huge <laughs> yeah like I think you know people like I said over glamorize it like it's journaling every day yeah and it's such a privileged lens to look at it is that through isn't it's it? a great lens yeah like, I'm I tool. journal every day yeah. and um Sometimes my journal looks very ugly. Like it looks like I'm really mad today. <laughs> but you know, when you will reread that, like in two weeks forward, and you read back to that time, you're like, oh, I'm actually glad for that because it makes you appreciate the yeah. good days. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the tip would be, but I think standing in my truth was something that came to my full front. Is just like owning who you are and not feeling like you need to put on this like face and this facade and this shield yeah you know like we're very human yeah so human (laughs) it's okay to be vulnerable and ask for help which so many of us struggle with vulnerability is actually a strength i have realized like i've never been afraid to be vulnerable because i'm like well people are either gonna like you or don't yeah and if you're like just who you are and what you are and say what you are and then people who don't like that that's their own shit mm-hmm. like that's not you yeah yeah that's again problem 100 percent. like i don't yeah our last question for today that we ask every guest is what does it mean to you to be selfish selfish mm. oh um the first one that came was prioritization i like it <laughs> yeah it's so it's my capricorn brain coming through it's like <laughs> yep uh i guess to be selfish is to prioritize what's important and if it's yourself and you think that's selfish, do it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for time right. today. It was a really good conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was Thanks actually so much. such a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. This episode of Selfish was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Wurundjeri land.